0: All right, uh, everybody, good, good morning, good to see you all, good to see your smiling faces and uh, laugh with you, cry with you, um, just be together with you, you know, as we walk the testimony of faith each and every day of our lives, amen? I'll go ahead and open in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians, we're going to continue off where we left in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, last we left sort of right in the middle of verse 10 there. Um, But, you know, think about Paul's heart as he's sharing this, as he's in some ways rebuking and correcting, but other ways exhorting them to remember who they are in Christ. And at the same time, he sees the sin in the division being caused in the church and it's breaking his heart and he so desperately wants them to behave like followers of Jesus Christ, that they wouldn't be given into the carnality of of sin and they wouldn't be looking to puff themselves up or put men in, in the place that really only Jesus belongs. And I can't imagine the tears that Paul cried for this church at Corinth knowing that he wanted to be there. And the truth of it is some didn't want him there actually. As we'll read on, he'll go through and he'll he'll make the point that, you know, while you may not think much of me, you don't hold the litmus test for judgment. God does. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in so much in what other people think or we measure our walk in Christ based on what others see. Or, and we forget the real measurement isn't the person to your left or to your right or the person even holding your hand right now. Your, your real measurement is Jesus. That, that's always been the measuring rod, the measuring stick. And, and isn't that beautiful because his opinion matters. And he tells us he gives us the Holy Spirit and the grace to live out the faith. So not only does he faithfully judge us, but he also equips us to overcome. We're not set up for failure. How about that? In the days we're living, and people will preach a false gospel. Well, there's no hope. And look at the things going on. Oh, there is great hope, friends. There's great hope in Christ. Let's, let's pray, and then we'll begin our word here this morning. Father, we, we come and we, we want to humble ourselves. We want to slow down and just feast on every word that you have before us right now. Lord, nothing else matters. Lord, the earth is gonna pass away and the heavens, Lord, will be made new. But Lord, your word will last for eternity. Thank you that we can right now just again humble ourselves and come together. And God, I pray for this church For our hearts individually, that Lord, we'll pay attention to these things, Lord. We know they're not happenstance, and we know, Lord, that every uh, gathering of believers can can experience these same things. And Lord, our hearts can uh, all—my heart, Lord—can be fickle. So I know, Lord, as you preach here this morning, Lord, you're preaching to my heart. You're preaching every one of our hearts here. Let us hear what your Spirit has to say. Let us receive it, even if it's difficult and hard. Because we know that there's only one truth, and that's the truth of you, Jesus Christ. Everything else is made to make us feel good. Lord, we're not interested in that. We want real relationship. So mature us, Lord. Grow us here. Equip us, Lord. Love us. And Lord, receive our love here this morning. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people prayed. Amen. Centering in in verse 10 again. According, that's chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians verse 10. According to the grace of God, it's only by grace, but it's not a grace in which we have. It's a grace that comes directly by God from God, right? We are never saved by anything else. Saved by grace. Isn't it interesting? Why were we saved by grace and by faith that we would not, what? Boast. It was to protect us from pride. And it's interesting because he's going to call that out right here pretty soon. He's going to, he's going to say a lot of the, what's going on through this division and this issue. It's going to be pride. He says, this is what was given to me as a wise master builder. Again, we talked last week. That word was the word we use today for an architect. An architect. He says, I've laid the foundation and another built on it, but let each one take heed on how he builds on it. Take heed, think about it, be intentional. How are you building upon the foundation of Christ? What is the foundation of Christ, right? Turn in your Bibles a few pages over to the book of Ephesians, and we'll see as Paul brings this out a little bit more for us. Ephesians chapter two, uh, we're going to look right around um, Verse 19 here, Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. Really, I want to back up to 18. (laughs) Look at that verse. For For through him, we both have access by what? One spirit, unity, right? That foundation, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, the father. And he says to the father. Now, therefore, right, you're no longer strangers or foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation, there it is again, of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Now it's interesting in this passage, really in this book also in first Corinthians, we see this idea of a temple and we're going to get there in a little bit. It's used two different ways. One way speaks to the temple in which he'll talk corporately because they'll say you and it's plural. The you isn't like you individually. It's you corporately, the church, the body of Christ. And he says that the Holy Spirit dwells among you, the body of Christ. Then later on in chapter six, though, he says also that the Holy Spirit dwells in another temple, a temple not made, right, with hands, but he's talking about you individually, singular, right? Us, individuals, that the Holy Spirit lives within us. We see both, and both have application here. For no other foundation can anyone lay other than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Back, to, back in um, chapter 3, verse 11. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be clear for the day, circle that, capital D, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work. So there's a whole lot here. If anyone builds on this foundation, if anyone builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone, the master builder, the architect, right? Who's designed obviously salvation and everything in it he says that as he's laid this as he builds this foundation there are other or there are others otherwise he wouldn't have said anyone if anyone comes and builds on this wood hay stubble when you start to describe those things gold you know um silver precious stones what what are those things how would you define the material uh, items, material objects? Um, they're clearly different than what Christ laid as the foundation. They're, they're not in themselves wrong or bad, right, as elements. They're not, in, you know, there's nothing wrong with them. When you take gold, for example, and gold sits there uh, as, a, as an element, okay, it's fine, right? But if I take that and I construct that into a golden calf and I begin to worship it, it is now what? It's wrong because it's become an idol, right? Are you tracking with me? Do you see that? So, so he's talking and he's saying, look, if anyone builds on this foundation with an idol or these materials to serve themselves instead of glorifying God, that's a problem. That's a problem. That's what he's saying here. And he knows that there will be those that try to do it. There's a, there's a big prosperity gospel going on today where you're being told if you're not rich, then you don't have faith in Christ. If you're ever sick, you don't have faith in Christ. That is a lie from the pit of hell, right? Jesus Christ himself came. He came to serve, right? Right? He didn't come to turn around and be lorded, which he was, king of kings, but he didn't turn around and, and, and want to be born into a palace with riches and all of that. He came as an example for you and I. In humility. It, it was an example in humility. And that's, and that's what we see here each one's work will be clear there's no faking it till you make it kind of thing here it'll be declared and it will be revealed by fire what what is this talking about well if you look at 2 corinthians 5 10 turn over a few uh, pages to your right there we talked about this once before what is this describing this is describing the seat judgment right with fire that it would be tried and tested by fire this is a judgment that all believers, you and I, every believer in Jesus Christ, will stand before the throne room of God or throne of God that way, and you will be judged. And the way you will be judged is it's not salvific, and we'll read that back in 1 Corinthians. It's not salvific. This is not a, a judgment of salvation. You've already received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is a rewards banquet. This is a time that would, uh, the Olympian Games, the Isthmian Games, which were in Corinth at that time, these were games, and when you were a victor, you came up and you were crowned as a victor. Today, in our Olympics, what do we do? If you have first, second, or third place, you come to the winner's pulpit area, right? And what do you do? You get on one of the podiums, and they put a a medal around you, right? And, And you're first place, second place. This is the picture that we have here. That's been given to us. Therefore, if you look in chapter 5, verse 9, he and and again, one of the most interesting passages, we even just back up, funerals. All of us have been to funerals. Um, Verse 7 and 8 often are read at a funeral. I I often read them at funerals. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident yet well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Right? We often quote that, and we quote that in the context of that person laying in that casket or, or, or the cremation or what have you. They're no longer there. If they're born again believer in Christ, they're with Jesus in heaven. That's We understand that. But often, verse 9 is not read thereafter. And my Bible says, therefore, we should always ask, what's the there for? It says, therefore, we make it our aim. What is an aim? It's our focus. It's our objective. It's, it's, it's everything that we get intentional about. It's, it's when you're sighting in a gun, you do what? You don't sight in a gun looking somewhere else like this. You have a target. You look at it and you have an aim, right? You're intentional, right? Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all, circle that, not some, not many, but every single believer in Christ will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why is Paul leading into this this way? Because it's sobering. Because every one of us is gonna stand before Christ and we're going to have to give an account. All the things that we did in this life, all the material objects that we, it's all gonna sit there before us and there's gonna be a fire that's gonna lay. And the wood, hay, and stubble and everything that's gonna consume all of the temporal is all gonna burn away. But only those precious things that we did with the right motive in heart for Christ will remain. And whatever remains, that's what we'll be rewarded for. There's five different crowns that your scriptures speak about. Five different crowns that you will receive, right? One of five, or two of five, or three of five, or all five. I pray to God you all get all five, okay? I pray to God more more earnestly that you have way more crowns than I ever do because that, that's my heart and love. And just like the Apostle Paul or Pastor Paul here, that was his love for Corinth. Remember, he's writing this in Second Corinthians, but it's really 3 Corinthians. He's already written to this church once before. He's saying that you all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, that would hay, stubble. Knowing therefore that the terror of the Lord will persuade men, but we are, are all well known to God, and also I trust are well known in your conscience. And it just reminds me of Revelation 3:11. Don't ruse your reward. It's not how you begin the race, it's how you finish the race that matters. You know what I mean? I can I can remember, I shared with first service, I'll, I'll make it brief, but I, I shared with first service one of the testimonies that, that this something that every one of us could see. Many of you were alive, you were present for 9/11. I actually happened to be uh, living in New York City at the time, we lived in Tuckahoe, we would take the Metro North or the train down, that's the train system down to Grand Central, you'd get off Grand Central and we, I would go to work, okay. That day I was heading to an intellectual property attorney, we were going down there, a gentleman by the name of Tim was with me, he was staying with me, we were going down to see the patent attorney, he happened to be in one of the World Trade Center buildings. As we were making our way down, we we got into Grand Central, and certainly we got into a cab uh, after getting out of Grand Central, and we were heading over to the Trade Tower. About five minutes into our drive, our cab drive, um, or ride maybe, better put, all of a sudden we begin to see what looks like snow. Now, it's September. It's not snowing in September. If Rochester, maybe, right? Possible. But in September, in New York City, it's not snowing. It was ashes. It was ashes from the buildings, from different things. It was all burning, And I remember sitting with Tim as we looked at each other. And at that moment, we knew something was wrong. And we were very close at this point, probably within, I don't know, a a block, a block and a half from the World Trade Center. World Trade Towers that way. And I remember thinking to myself, what do we do? And at that point, I also remembered my brother-in-law, Michael, was down there at the time. And some of you, you know, have a military background or some of you were raised, you know... You never leave a man behind. That doesn't exist. You go in, you get them out. You know, that's, there is no other object. You understand that and you you swore to a duty to that. Well, I have that same heart and spirit. Michael was down there. I also had a wife home with a five or six month old at the time, Parker, my oldest now. And I can remember, um, you know, at that time, all the phones began to die. You know, they they were all, but I happen to have a GSM phone. Some of you know what GSM phones are. I had a GSM phone. And I took the GSM phone, and I looked at Tim, and I thought, you know, Tim's family was in Florida, so he wasn't able to get through. Um, And by that time, uh, it had completely crashed, and the other one was beginning to look like it was wobbling. We got back to Grand Central. The cab turned around, took us back to Grand Central. We got there. And remember that as we got there, they announced throughout Grand Central Station that this will be the last train leaving there would be no other trains. They were shutting it down. The only other way would be to walk across one of the bridges, right? So my instincts, and I remember my wife just happened to call me right at that point. I I was going to go back after Michael Tim was going to come. We were going to go get him out because that's what we do. And so I was going that way and I remember Lisa saying, come home. And I said, Lee, what about Michael? And she said, come home first, you know, Give me a kiss, let me see you, and then go. And I remember not honestly wanting to. Not that I didn't want to go home to see my wife. I remember not wanting to leave my post, uh, not post, sorry, uh, leave my duty, the, the, what I was called to do. I knew that's what I was to do. But I I praised God for my helpmate, and I got on the train, and we're heading home. At that point, as you can imagine, Uh, People had loved ones in those buildings. And the second one is we're driving out, we see it fall. And people began to just fall on their knees and they were crying because their spouse was in that building. Uh, Children, I mean, it was horrific. If if you weren't there, it's hard to explain. You can watch it on TV. It's not the same thing. And people's phones weren't working. They couldn't even call their loved ones. So I remember just taking my phone and, and I'm just basically handing it out to anybody that could use the phone to call. I'm okay or somebody didn't make it out. And I remember as we get back um, to Tuckahoe, we walk out again. I see Lisa. She obviously embraces me. Uh, Tim, uh, you know, finally gets a hold of his mother because now it's all on the TV and everybody's seeing it and says, hey, I'm okay too. And, um, you know, I, that next week as we, as we went into church, you go into church that next week, you, you couldn't find a parking space. You, you couldn't even find a parking space. There wasn't a seat that was open. Everybody flooded into church. Why? Well, it's like what we just read in 2 Corinthians there. You know, it it, it came to a point where where he says, knowing therefore that the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known by God. At that moment, nothing else mattered. People's bank accounts didn't matter. You know, the, the baseball team didn't matter. The soccer team, the hockey team, none of that mattered. Because in front of them, they got to see how everything in their lives just changed. We were actually buying a house at that point. We are in the process of, of buying a house. I remember even, we wondered, do we even buy a house anymore? Jesus is coming. Did it even matter? Like, it was that significant. It just happened a week before. We, did, did the banks even have the ability? You know, everything stood still. At least in New York City in that area it did. And I remember going into the churches, and they were flooded. I mean, even though there wasn't rooms, you could open the doors. Even in the lobbies, people would be gathering outside in the causeways because it was real to them, and they experienced it, and they saw. And everything made all the sense in the world. God, nobody was going, I don't know if God's real. I never heard anybody espouse atheism or or agnosticism or anything like that. The, The churches were full. They wanted answers, and they knew there was only one person that could give them an answer, and that was Jesus Christ. It takes sometimes those kind of events, unfortunately. He said it's our aim. Paul said it's our aim. We ought to have our aim in sight. We ought to be deliberate. Are we living with that same intensity today that you understand biblically, there's nothing left to be fulfilled in scripture before the rapture. There's not a single prophecy. There's not a single promise left unfilled. Nothing. At this point, before service even concludes, Jesus Christ, with the sound of a trump, within the twinkling of an eye, 200 milliseconds, we could be in the presence of Jesus Christ at a wedding feast of a lamb. And oh, by the way, before the wedding feast, as we talked about last week, is this beam of seed judgment where we're gonna stand before Christ and everything that we have amassed, good and or bad, is all gonna be set ablaze. And we're gonna watch it burn with our eyes. He said it's with fire. God means what he says and he says what he means. And whatever's remaining, that will be rewarded for. What do you think you're going to feel like in that moment? I don't like to talk about feelings all that much. But in that moment, what are you going to feel? When you're watching what you might have spent your whole life amassing, your whole life working and doing, whatever it was for you that was that central and pivot or important point, when you're standing before Christ, and everything else is being burned, what are you going to remember? What are you going to be thinking about? Are you going to lower your head because you're going to look and three quarters of what's in that fire is going to burn? Or are you going to stand there and say, maybe I started the race a little late, but I will take every waking moment that I have left and I will finish that race stronger than I ever have done anything in my life with intention, you know, with conviction and with heart Everybody has to answer that question. Nobody likes to think a 9-11 can happen. When it does, it's real and you react. This is real. You would be ill-prepared to not think that you will stand before Jesus one day to give an account. You'd be ill-prepared. I will have failed you if I did not talk to you about this, explain this to you. Because just like Paul said, it will persuade men. The fear of the Lord in terror will persuade men and women to do what? To have an aim. To not be aimless. You with me? You tracking with me? This is important. It's everything. Well, as we continue reading, he says, for no other foundation can anyone build on other than that which is laid in Jesus Christ? Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work and what sword it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, notice that with me, underline that if it endures, he will receive a reward. And you know what you're going to do with that reward? One of the five crowns or many of the crowns you receive? You're going to cast them at the feet of Christ. You know why? You'd like to think it's because he's holy and he deserves that. And absolutely, that's right. But you know what the real truth is? If we're being really transparent with each other here this morning, what good did we ever do in ourselves with the right motive that wasn't led by the Holy Spirit? Is it not all his anyway? He saved us and then rewards us for making a choice to receive him. Can you, I mean, you just can't make that up. Where else do you hear a testimony like that? You know, look at Hinduism. Look at, you know, the Gnostics. Go study world religion. Where else do you see anything like that? That a God so loves you that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. And then, oh, by the way, you receive him because not only do you want fire insurance, but you also want a Lord, someone to guide you because you realize you're a steward and you've been given something to care for. Remember, stewards don't have their own possessions. They're caregivers, givers. It's the masters and they take care of what's the masters. We're gonna read that. Well, he says, he who endures will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But just in case somebody doesn't try to exegete, or eisegete, pardon me, in other words, read into, mirror read into the scripture, and say, well, see, you can lose your salvation. Praise God he wrote this in here. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be what? Saved. So even though through sanctification, you didn't live a life dedicated unto the Lord as you were called to as a disciple. It's not that he's gonna, the enemy's gonna be able to pluck you out of the hand of God. But can I say it this way? What kind of a life was lived? Was it a life that was lived for Christ? Or was it a life that was truly lived for you? We, we all have to examine our hearts, and, and Christ has to do that. No, nobody can answer that for you. You're not your spouse, not anybody. You, you, that's between you and Jesus. But, but he says, you will be saved yet, yet what? So as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple? The, this word here, is, first of all, you is plural. Remember we talked about that in the introduction? So in verse 16, write you, your circle you, excuse me, and then write plural right above it because he's not talking to the individual. You are, who is he talking to? Who is this? The church of Corinth. The church of Calvary Chapel Harrisburg, you, plural, you, the body of Christ, are the what? The temple, right? And, and this isn't the, the herion, right? Which would have been if, if you you know Herod's temple or you know when Jesus Christ. This is not the outer courts of the temple that he's talking about where, where the Gentiles and so. No, no, he's actually talking about naos in the Greek. This is the innermost area where the holy of holies would have been. Okay? He says, that's the temple where the Holy Spirit, that's where you all dwell, the church of Christ. He even said, the gates of hell will not what? Prevail against the church. Why? Is it because we as a church are so special that we have some you know, intrinsic natural value in us before our new nature that we received in Jesus Christ? Or is it because the Holy Spirit who now lives in us But also, when we gather corporately, that is the church. Calvary Chapel Harrisburg is not a a, a building at 702 Lisburn Road. I mean, physically, it's a building. The church is the body of Christ. The first service, the second service, and all the things, the the online church, people watching in California right now, Hawaii, all all the places where people, that is the body of Christ. And what he's saying here is, he says, you are that church. You are that temple of God, that the spirit of God dwells in you. Church of Corinth, how can you be acting this way? With all the division and all the things you're doing, don't you know the spirit of God dwells in you? What is this pride? What is this, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, you know, I'm of Paul. What are you talking about? Don't you realize that you are the body of Christ? Christ. That's what he's saying here. If anyone now, this is sobering. This is, boy, man, pay attention, right? He says, if anyone defiles the temple of God, the church of God that way, God will destroy him. He didn't mince words, did he? God is protective of his church. He doesn't like division. He's a good dad. Some come, someone comes after his children, God handles it. Notice that he didn't say you and I are little gods. That we are to micromanage God and we are to be, you know, on the, the hunt for judging. In other words, I'm not to be walking around going, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, you know. No, no, no. I mean, am I a fruit inspector? If I see things like you're living in or you're practicing adultery, do I have a responsibility to go up lovingly to you and say, hey, man, what are you doing? Is this true? I love you. Is this what God's word wants for you? Is this what you want? Is this what Jesus wants for you? I meant to say, is this what God's word teaches you, I meant to say? Is this what you want? Is this really what you want? Right? And, and one to another, you're invested in each other's lives. Sometimes you have picnics, you go over each other's houses. Sometimes we get together at a Jubilee Day where we're all gathered, both services like that. You know, you, we're to be invested. Everybody wants the love. I love it. I love that we, you know, I walk in this church. You guys are so full of love. I love Calvary Chapel, Harrisburg, because, man, I know I'm loved here. Awesome. Are you encouraged? Awesome. Are you exhorted? Are there times you're corrected? Are there times you laugh together and cry together? Are you ignorant to each other's fruit? You're talking about a church where the son's sleeping with the father's wife. Chapter five. You're talking about a church that they start suing each other. Chapter six. You're talking about a church, chapter 11, that gets drunk at the communion table. You're you're talking a church that is worshiping pagan gods and going and having, uh, I don't think there's young people, orgies in in, in the temple area so that they can all get together and worship the pagan god. That's that's what he's going to say in a minute. He's going to say, this church is known by sexual immorality. What kind of church do you want to be known of? God bless you. God takes it seriously. It's the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. Hey, guys, someone defiles your wife or defiles your home. Do you care about that? Oh, you better believe it. Right, guys? You better believe it. You're the pastor of your home. Right? You don't want somebody coming in and, uh, you know, what, throwing mud on your wife. Right? Absolutely not. She's holy. She's a, she's a child of the living God. She's the daughter of the living God somebody's going to throw mud what are you going to do you're going to step right in front of it and let it hit you no way it's going to touch your wife right men amen if anyone defiles the temple of god god will destroy him for the temple of god is holy and then paul only pauline here he says which temple are you what church are you, you know? What's in your wallet, right? What's the real deal here, man? Who are you? Who are you of? You're so busy being called of, Apoll, of Apollos, of Cephas. Hey, are you of Christ, and are you part of the body of Christ? That's what he's saying here. Who are you of? What temple are you of? Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, and he's going back again to God's wisdom, man's wisdom, spiritual wisdom that way. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Those are beautiful words. When we acknowledge that we know nothing, we begin to learn something. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he quotes Job 5.13 here. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Therefore, now he has to write this in here because obviously Chloe maybe in her letter must have said something like, they are so full of pride. They are so puffed up right now. Otherwise, why would the Holy Spirit have written this to us? But, but somehow he, he, he pulls this in here and he says what? He says, look, therefore let no one boast in men for all things are yours. What is he doing? He's now getting ready to conclude, because chapter four is going to be the conclusion of where he's going to deal with the division. Then he's going to go into specific sin and specific issues with how they're misusing the works of the Holy Spirit, you know, 1 Corinthians 12. He's going he's to go through all the other things we talked about. But he, he reminds them. He's like, hey, time out identity crisis again here. Pay attention. Therefore, what? Let no one boast in men. Why is he, why is he saying men? Because isn't that exactly what they were doing? They were boasting in men. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Paul. How come they weren't boasting, I'm of Jesus Christ. Isn't that all our hearts cry? I'm of Jesus Christ. Right? It's the body of Christ. You come to a church, it's called Chalved Chapel. Call this place whatever you want. I don't care. I never did. I don't. It's Jesus. It's Jesus crucified. That's what it's always been about. It's Jesus and him crucified. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. So he expands it. He says, or whether it's worldly living or the culture happening around you or life or death. In other words, you holding on to your own life because it's precious. And hey, I'm getting older. You know, I'm, I'm 60. I'm 70. You know? I don't, you know, I may have 20 more years. You know, what am I going to do? With my life? You know, I, I'm on the back nine, man. Maybe I should get out and golf a little more. I don't know right? He's saying life or death or things present or things to come. He's saying, what what are you so concerned about? He says, it's all yours. The spirit of God, your heirs and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. That's your spiritual heritage. It's all yours. Why are you infighting about this nonsense? That's what he's saying. And, And we ought to hear this today. Because as, as, as the Lord has, has planted a work here, as a church has been birthed by the bo- through the body, it is the body of Christ through God, his Holy Spirit reigns here. And I have a question. If you come in here and you say, I just don't discern the Holy Spirit here. That's a problem. Where's that problem begin? In your own heart. Why do I say that? Because if you walk through the door and you have the Spirit of God, is the Holy Spirit not here? right? Sometimes we pray, you know, we worship and we say, oh, Holy Spirit, come fill this place. He did. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you for filling this place. Amen. Better said, past tense, because he did it, right? You're all here. You're children of God, right? So Holy Spirit, he's done that. But, but what about when times, we, you, come, oh, you know, I love this church. They're so loving. Um, or maybe you come in, you know what? They're not loving. Well, who are you loving? Each and every one of us has is, is got a, a responsibility in that. We're to be the hands and feet of Christ. I, I come into the church and I go up to the pastor and I, I say, Pastor, boy, I really don't like how you X, Y, Z, right? That's okay. You know what my favorite thing? You need this. Great. When are you starting it? And you know what happens? They turn and walk out. Well, wait a minute. That was a great idea. Where are you going? Praise the Lord. It's only going to take 20 hours a week from you. What's wrong? You, you clearly thought it was a good idea. I bear witness in the spirit of God. You laugh. You all are chuckling. That's you, low sometimes. That's me sometimes. All right? Let's be real. Right? We can be like that. Let's, let's not play church or play Christian, right? We do that, don't we? He's warning us. He's saying, hey, be careful. Be careful how you go in and, and you have these expectations. You know, Corinth... You're going in, you're doing all these things. Have you forgotten? Everything that you could possibly want, you have eternity with Christ. Why are you infighting? Why are you willing to take down a brother so you feel better? Why are you prideful that this person baptized you and this person? He says, what's that all about? He says, That's, that just reeks of carnality. He says, you and your intellectualism and all your wisdom that you have, you, 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 all you're doing is puffing yourself up and creating more division when the Holy Spirit tells us he creates unity. That's what he's teaching them here. He's, he's doing it and he's, he's nailing it. He's just like, hey, this is it. He says, you're the temple of God. You're the body of Christ. You don't, don't behave this way. And then he tells you, don't just, don't be deceived. You know, he, he warns them, don't, don't do this. Are you and you are Christ and Christ is God's, right? Look at chapter four here, and this will be the last chapter where he really deals with this division. Let man or let a man so consider us as servants. Now, guys, and, and ladies, if there's ladies that serve in a ministry team here, pay attention. Guys, if you believe the Lord's calling you to be a pastor, you believe the Lord's calling you to be an under shepherd, an elder, pay attention because this is going to be contrary to probably what's in your flesh and what you think. Let a man so consider us as servants. Oh boy, that's different. Paul didn't say, let a man so consider us as high esteem, as, as, as apostles and as great ones. That we should be worshipped and proclaimed and, and loved and served. And No, he said, let a man so consider us as a servant. Where'd that come from? Jesus Jesus came to be served, or not to be served, sorry, but to serve. I think I might have reversed that the first time around I said it, but you all are with me. You know what I mean? He came to serve and not to be served. We're to be servants. Of Christ and stewards. What, what is a steward? We, I talked a little bit earlier. You're, you have a master, and a steward is someone that's over the items of the master. You're, you're a caregiver. You're entrusted with something precious and worth great value. And when the master goes and he's off, you are trusted with those items and you're to keep them and protect them. You're a bondservant, doulos in the Greek, right? You have willfully surrendered into this servitude. You weren't made slaves you willingly became a slave for Jesus. That's what it is. It's a willful desire. It's surrender. And as part of that willingness to do that, that's what our Bible tells us, that's what discipleship is, we become these stewards. And what are we caring after? The mysteries of God. What is that? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of you are stewards. You're caregivers of that gospel. So you know what I, I, you know, I always say, and it's a simple, healthy sheep reproduce, right? I said the same thing in the first service. You're ministers. It's not the pastors here. It's not the elders here. You all are ministers, right? Look around you. There's a few empty seats in this area. There's a few empty seats in this area. Guess what? It's not about church growth. The Bible tells us in Acts, God adds into the church daily. That's not what I'm concerned about. But he does talk about discipleship and maturity. And that's what he was targeting Corinth with. They were on the milk and not on the meat. They were so busy about lording themselves or lifting themselves up that they weren't discipling others. They weren't reproducing. Have we reproduced? You know, I I said the first service, I said, I will not be content in the Lord. That means out of God's will, certainly not. But in the Lord. Until every one of these seats is filled with people that are under the word being discipled. And you know what? We'll go another service until that. And then eventually some of you will go out and plant. And we'll, you know, there'll be, you know, churches, body of Christ all around. You know, and it'll just keep going until Christ comes, until He, you know, as he tarries. I don't know how much time we have left. But I want you to think about everywhere you go, your workplace, okay? Everywhere you go, the store, every are you disciple making? Matthew 28, 19, it was a command. It wasn't a suggestion. It wasn't like if you feel like it today and, you know. I want you to think about mountains and valleys. Uh, G. -G Campbell Morgan, I shared a book, you know, with a a few folks in here. Mountains and valleys. Most people think the mountains. I want that mountaintop experience, right? And when you think about a mountaintop experience, what do you typically think about? You have to come down the mountain and then you're going to go into a valley. And when you go into the valley, there's a demoniac waiting for you at the bottom, Right? right? You, 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 know the, you know, that's exactly what happened to Christ. But do you think about those mountaintop experiences from God's perspective? I want you to think about Jesus for a minute. Was it a day off for Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes? Was he up there going, you know, this is awesome. You know, I'm just getting racked. No, the disciples are like, I'm getting racked. This is like discipleship boot camp, man. I'm in. You know, they're like, this is awesome. The multitudes are catching on. They're hearing it. They're like, this is praise, you know, God, yes. This is exactly the difference between religion and relationship because that's all the rabbis were teaching at that time, just lording over the people, straining over a gnat. You know, they're so busy counting the little gnats out. Meanwhile, you know, so they didn't have the blood and just blood. You know, I accidentally swallowed a gnat. That's what the context is in that. You know, they're so worried about that or like one for me, 10, you know, one for God, 10 for me, one for, you know. They're caught up in all the wrong things. And finally, God himself, the God man, Jesus opens his mouth and he said, oh, blessed is. And he goes through this. That was a work day for Christ. That was a work day for Jesus. He was up there working, man. He was, he's doing God's will, right? The Father's will that way. He's teaching the word. He's disciple making. I'm not saying there's anything wrong going on vacation. We all need a holiday, right? We get away respite. That's great. But are we on the mountains? When we're on that mountain, are we serving God? Or is it always about us? I had that mountain-type experience. Awesome. Did others, because you shared something that the Holy Spirit gave you, maybe a word of knowledge or, or something, did you give that to somebody else when you were on that mountaintop experience? Serving God. And then you come into the valleys, and guess what you do? You serve God. You, you getting the point? This is, this is what... Paul's dealing with here. He's, he's saying you're stewards. You've been given mystery. Uh, the gospel. It's not like you clock in and clock out. You don't compartmentalize your life. D- this, this is the new age Christian movement. Right? Monday through Friday. Monday through Saturday. I'm mine. Uh, maybe on Wednesday night for a couple hours. And Sunday I'm yours. You know, I joke around and I, and I say but, but look, I invite you all out to Wednesday night service. I want to see all of you there. We're going through the Old Testament. It's knitting and stringing pearls through what God had always promised through his son, Jesus Christ. We're in the book of Numbers. We're finishing that up. We're getting ready to start the book of Deuteronomy. And some of you be going, oh, Numbers, man. It's a census. It's an accounting. It's a rhythm. Yes. But Jesus is in every verse and passage of that. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm exhorting you. It's the word of God. And I know you all are tired. I'm tired too, <laughs> you know. On Wednesday nights, we all get tired around 7, 8 o'clock. But I'll tell you what, it's your tackling fuel for the week. You come in and you sit under the word of God. The Holy Spirit renews your mind. Thursday, you wake up and it's like you're a whole new man or woman again. You got filled, you're fed, and now you're ready to go out and you're ready for those mountaintop and valley experiences. Trying to do that without, you know, that encouragement, that building, loving one to another that's difficult. They, they, the apostles in the book, Acts 2.42, they would go house to house. This wasn't just on Sundays and Mondays. They were doing this all week. When wasn't church, right? And I know when we get busy. You know, the ladies just had their, their breakfast, and, you know, there was like 10 or 12 or whatever, 13 women. And I thought to myself, we have a church of 200 and something plus. Half the church has to be women. Why wasn't there 50, 100, 150 people there? Well, we had baseball. We had baseball. Baseball is important. Got to hit the ball. Got a t-ball. You're going to stand before Jesus. My job is not to win a popularity contest. My job is to exhort you in truth that you are going to stand before Jesus and you're going to have to give an account of what you did with what you were given. And I want it to be the most blessed experience for you I want you to say that and stand before God. I gave you everything, Jesus, I had. I left it all on the table. It's all yours, Lord. I got nothing left. I understand sometimes, please, I'm not browbeating you. I understand there's times we all have, you know, you got to go pick up your grandkids. You know, things happen. Life happens sometimes. But what's most important in our hearts? Is it Jesus? That's the real sin culture in Corinth. It's the sin culture. It wasn't a church culture. It wasn't a movement of the Holy Spirit culture. It was a sin culture in Corinth. We're stewards. You've been given something. You need to give it to other people. Faithful men reproduce, right? 2 Timothy. And, And here's what he says. He says, moreover, it is required that stewards, right? In stewards, that one be found, what did he say? Faithful. Listen, guys, you want to serve in ministry? The first thing, faithful. You start something, you finish it. Ladies, you want to serve in ministry? You're found faithful. Hey, are you guys all called to ministry? You're a royal priesthood, a precious people. It's not just the pastors. All of you. That's that's why I'm encouraging you here this morning. I'm encouraging every one of you. God has done this work. He's called you. He's equipped you. Fulfill the calling, make your calling election sure. But with me, it is a very small thing. Now, this is sort of tongue in cheek with Paul a little bit. He's going to give a little back. I wonder if Paul got to heaven and was like, yeah, maybe. You know, he, he, he it was this clearly Holy Spirit ordained it, but I wonder if Paul thought, but he's dealing with the issue of you're, you're really caught up in Apollos, you're really caught up in Cephas. You know, Cephas, Peter was an apostle, he sat with Jesus. Paul didn't, right? He got direct revelation through Jesus Christ as an apostle. But I wonder if that was part of it. And, and Apollos, what was he known for? He was known for being what? An eloquent speaker. Oh, people love to hear Apollos. I mean, he would, he would entertain them and he was so flamboyant. Oh, you know, and the way he would speak. And, and Paul says that he came, not that he didn't have that ability, but he said he came and he only preached Christ and Christ. He says, he, I knew nothing else but Christ and him crucified. And he says, but it's no small thing or, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. He's saying, I don't really care what you think of me. He says, I'm, I'm not trying to win a popularity contest, guys. That's what Pastor Paul's saying. He's saying, I have to do what's right before God because I'm accountable to God. And, and can't we all say amen? Can't we all say amen? Because we are all accountable for God that way. Right? But he was clearly dealing with an issue in the church that, that there were some that maybe were drawn more to Apollos or more to Peter because he was a he was a, a you know a first generation apostle, if I can say it that way, right? He says, in fact, I don't even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself. Boy, I wish I could say that, you know. Yet I am not justified by this. We read Romans. What do you tell us? Romans 1, 16 and 17. He's justified by faith. He says, but he who judges me is the Lord. You know, it reminds me of, I said we need to be fruit inspectors, but we're not to judge one another, are we? We're not, we're not Jesus' micromanagers. We don't need to be on a sin hunt, right? We do have a responsibility as a church that if we see a brother or sister engaging openly in sin, because he's going to bring this all to a culminating point, which is why he's laying this out. Because in chapter five, he's going to go, here's what church discipline looks like. And here's how church discipline should be handled. But before he brings that out, first, what he's trying to do is say, look, don't be on a sin hunt. You're, you're not to judge, but you're certainly a fruit inspector. You know, if you see somebody clearly engaged in adultery, you're to say something lovingly, one-on-one, not, you know, make a public rumor. Don't, you know, come to corporate night prayer on Sundays and, you know, and Lord, I know we're not supposed to, uh, you know, rumor mill. So, Lord, I want to lift this person up in prayer right now. She's, or he's uh, having uh, sexual relations with five different people while married to this. That's clearly not prayer, right? Right? That's clearly rumoring, right? Or gossiping or backbiting. That's not what Christ wants. But you know what? You laugh because you've sat in churches where you've heard it, haven't you? Not here, but you've sat in churches where you've heard that very thing. That doesn't honor Christ. That's exactly what Paul's trying to deal with. That's exactly the issue Paul's dealing with. So he's saying, look, you know, I'm justified by Christ, you know, but he who judges me, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. I think this is beautiful. Because Paul's saying, you don't know and I don't know what God's going to do in that life of that individual. God has never written them off. Up until that last breath, they have a decision and a choice. For the unbeliever to receive Christ, for the believer, at that last breath, they still have an opportunity to serve God in some capacity. And we should never write them off, whether it's because of an addiction, because of something else going on in their lives. How dare we how dare we put ourselves in a position of God to judge somebody else that way? Man, I've blown it. I, you know my testimony, alcohol, drugs, I've done it all. I wish I didn't do any of it, but I've done it all. If you could think of it, I've done it. And you know what? Nobody, praise God, he didn't write me off and didn't disqualify me. It wasn't about that. It was about him and not about me. It was about a yielded spirit. Do I, do I, my children, do I pray to God they never go near any of that? And do I make sure I tell them, don't be like your father? You know, not when I'm talking about before I was saved. Don't do these things. But, but look what he says. He says, don't judge, man. This is because if you judge somebody, you don't know what God's doing in that person. Everybody's on a walk with God in different levels of maturity in different places. And the, the only thing you can do is look to somebody else and go, you know what? Hey, I love you. I love you why are you doing that? What are you, what are you up to? Is that, is, that, is that from the Lord? You know, you're, you're living this way, you're doing these things. You know, let's open our Bible together and let's see, what, let's see what's peaceful before Jesus. You know? That's real love. That's encouragement. But it shouldn't be a judgment of like, you're, you, you know, you should, you should bring it to him and, and hope there's what? Reconciliation because that's what God's always after reconcil- reconciling the unbeliever and the believer who's backslidden back into right relationship it's not it's not to lord over somebody he says who will bring light hidden things, right? That's what he says. He says, but he who judges me is the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will bring both the light and hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart that each one's praise will come from God. And that's what we will see at the beam of sea judgment. I do believe it'll be a personal thing. I don't think you're going to stand in front of a, uh, you know, Jesus isn't going to embarrass all, you know, any one of us and say, boy, that is a lacking.'" you know, wood, hay, stubble. You got a lot of wood, hay, stubble. I don't, that's not Jesus's character. That's not my God's character. That's man's character. That's carnality. But I do think Jesus will look upon it and what will remain, he'll reward. But I think we're the ones that are going to feel, God, I could have done more. If only. Amen. Let's stand and pray. It's heavy, isn't it? We read these things, and I praise God they're kept in order through the Holy Spirit. We read these things because we don't want to be the church of Corinth. We don't want to be the church of Ephesus, where he wrote this from either. They spent three years with them, and they leave their first love. We want to be the church of Philadelphia, the faithful church. Notice that he says that, faithful church. And what did he say you need here to be a minister of God to be faithful? Praise him. Father, we just come before you right now again. Thank you for your word here this morning. Lord, God, thank you for preaching to my heart. Jesus, I need this more than anybody else in this building. I need to hear your truth and I need you to wash my mind. And I need, Lord, this is for me. And God, I'm sure there's other people here this morning that have been uh, convicted by this, Lord, that have been restored by this, that have been transformed by this. God, we, we don't want to, uh, Lord, we don't want to try to balance our walk. We don't want to compartmentalize our Christianity. Jesus, we need you and more of you, less of us and more of you. Lord, we ask you for that help. Help our unbelief. Help our fears, Lord, anxieties. Help our, help our sadness and depression. Lord, take all of that that is all focused on self. Lord, let us put our eyes on you, Jesus, to weather the storms, whether in the mountains or in the valleys, Lord, that we would be found serving you in all ways. Equip us here. Baptize us anew this morning. Give us and pour out the gifts, the promise of the Father. Lord, that you promised to, to who you would give, Lord, to what you would give. Lord God, we pray for them all right now. Every one of the gifts you want to bestow upon all of us here, that we would receive them and that they would be used to minister and help others, that they would be done for your glory and honor and for your work. Lord, forgive us our sins and restore us into that right relationship. As we walk out of here this morning, Lord, we walk out as always your sons and daughters as believers in Christ, nothing changes that and there is no condemnation. But thank you for the protection of loving us and showing us what it doesn't look right when we follow our carnality and not the spirit of God, the temple, Lord, the church that you've drawn us to, Lord, the body of Christ that you've so knit together. I pray for this church here. I pray for the body here, Lord God. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be in us and among us and for a fresh filling upon us. And Lord Jesus Christ, we pray and ask all this according to your spirit. Jesus, we testify, we know and believe you will give good gifts. And Father, we praise your holy name. In your name, Jesus Christ, all God's people prayed. Amen. God bless you all and have a beautiful day in Christ. Don't forget 7 o'clock corporate prayer tonight. I look forward to seeing you all.